This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Sudden, an orphan drug accelerator focused on developing therapies for rare genetic diseases, recently completed a $34 million financing round. With a core team that seeks to in-license promising experimental therapies, Sidon conducts preclinical development in-house and then, should circumstances warrant, spins out a company to conduct clinical development of promising assets. Its first company, Vitesse, which is developing a drug for Neiman-Pick disease type C, has already been acquired. The second company, Amara, is developing a treatment for sickle cell disease. We spoke to Chris Adams, CEO of Sidon, about its business model, how it differs from other similar approaches, and whether it provides a faster and cheaper way to get therapies to market. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show. We're going to talk about Sidan, its business model for developing rare disease therapies, and the recent round of financing you completed. Let's start with Sidan itself. For people not familiar with the company, what is it? Yeah, so Sidan was started in 2013 as the first orphan drug accelerator targeting rare monogenic diseases, targeting therapies to develop therapies for rare monogenic diseases. And um, as we said, we've been in operation almost four years. Uh, we have a small team of scientists, drug hunters, and drug developers and business people uh, familiar and, and experienced in the rare disease space. And what we try and do is we try and identify uh, assets that are assets being drugs, programs that are in development or in preclinical development to help uh, shepherd them along and, and work on them to de-risk a given opportunity to do a project uh, using our capital. Um, and uh, in 2013, we raised $26 million to help us on this quest. Uh, we uh, have assessed more than 100 opportunities in the course of the last four years, uh, done probably 50-plus diligence programs and invested in 17 um 17 opportunities, relatively small amounts of money, less than $200,000 in some, and and some, you know, some that have gone further along and, and, and were successful, we've invested almost $2.5 million. So um, we feel that we have a unique business model to help our investor syndicate to assess given rare disease assets and then decide whether or not they are, you know, good enough assets to become single asset companies. 
Uh, how do you view your mandate? So I think our mandate is to, as we said, de-risk the opportunity for for our investors. Our investors are NEA, Lundbeck Ventures, Pfizer Ventures, Longitude Capital, Alexandria, and uh, they're all interested in in the rare disease space, in the orphan drug space. But uh, but having a dedicated team that can look at all these assets and then select the best possible assets for them to invest in helps them diversify their risk. Uh, and uh, and at the same time, we have the expertise to assess across multiple therapeutic areas, multiple disease modalities, uh, whether a given asset is worth um, spending the big bucks on. So Titan can be viewed as an incubator accelerator to identify these opportunities and get them to a place where um, you know, thirty, forty million dollars can be invested to get them to human proof of concept. We've seen a number of people implement similar models in the rare disease drug development space, and, and more broadly, uh, I'm thinking here of efforts like Koi Pharmaceuticals and Bridge Bio. How do you look at those efforts, and, and do you see yourself essentially doing the same thing, or is there something unique about your approach? I think our approach is unique because we're exclusively focused on monogenic diseases. So we don't do cancer and we don't do infectious diseases. We don't do uh, acquired diseases. So we have to have a genetic, um, you know, a genetic reason for for the, the condition. So, um, and I think the other difference is that, you know, our capital um in, in the case of Sidon 2 now, you know, we've raised $34 million to do this again. And, um, and that capital is, is, is focused on that translational chasm, that, that gap between having a, a preclinical lead or candidate to get it to IND. And that's really our sweet spot. And, um, and, and I think, uh, the capital that we have that allows us to do that is backed up by the same syndicate. So the syndicate we have, as I described to you earlier, uh, that syndicate is ready once we have de-risked the asset to then put in larger amounts of capital to actually get it to the human proof of concept. So put it into clinical study. Um, I think the differences between the models that you described are they have a, a set pool of capital that they've raised, also from very astute investors, and uh, and they can then you know, apply that capital to each of the projects that they're working on. Uh, our goal here is to really spin out single asset companies that have the, you know, robust data set you need to convince a venture investor that that's worth making a bet. Drug development is expensive and risky. Do you see drug development for rare disease therapies any more or less risky than for non-orphan indications? I don't think it's any less risky, but I think it, it gets you, it costs you less capital to get to the answer you're seeking. Uh, in the case of my former company, Folderex, we actually took a drug in two, from 2004 to 2010, so that's seven years, uh, and we spent about $85 million. We raised about $85 million for that company, and we took it all the way to European submission. And, um, and so, if you have a dedicated team that is doing that particular development program and it's a very focused effort, I think you can get to a, to an answer um, in, in, with less capital. It's still risky. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. So, drug development is, is as risky a business as you can think of. 
Um, and I do think the the, uh, the the model we have is is uniquely suited to actually figuring out what that critical killer experiment is that you have to do to um, to assess whether or not this is this is worth pursuing. And once you've you've made that bet, and we've you know spun out two companies that we can talk about. One was a company targeting a very rare condition called Neiman 6B. That company is called Vitesse. And the second was called was Imara, which is a, a, a small molecule uh, PD9 inhibitor we licensed from Lundbeck that is uh, targeting sickle cell disease. So when you look at those two companies, you know we 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 raised 42 million for Vitesse, we raised 31 million for for Imara, and um, from the same syndicate that funded Sidon, and uh, and and in the one case, you know we took that company all the way to a pivotal study. Before the company was early, was acquired. That was the test was acquired by Campo. In the case of Imara, you know we've raised 31 million. We're just about to start phase two clinical studies, and we've spent, uh, you know, 14, 13, 14 million dollars to get to this point. So I think you can get, you can be very, um, you know, it's expensive, still expensive, but but I think it's uh, if you have a very focused plan and a small team. I think you can execute very efficiently on these on these orphan drug assets. I'm wondering if you can expand on a point you had just made, which is that this model is better suited for doing that type of killer experiment to determine whether it's appropriate to move an asset forward. What makes this model particularly good at doing that? Well, the Sidon team, of course, is uh, in, is is not biased. You know, so we bring in number of things over the given year and we can we can determine whether or not you know they they suit us if i think the model is unique because usually in a biotech company you know the assets are there and and you're a, you you need to you need to make the best of the assets you have in our case we're 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 creating a portfolio right that's our that's our advantage and we're not in in love with any one given asset but the ones we are in love with we better be ready to burn our boat um, and, uh, you know, and join it because I think that's the one where, which we go back to our investors and say, okay, we're ready to make a big bet here to, to, uh, to develop this particular asset. So, so the killer experiment can be as simple as doing a study with a drug that to test whether or not it gets into the brain, um, if it needs to do that. It can be, you know, repeating, uh, a dose response the dose response curve. You know, if there isn't a dose response curve, there probably isn't a drug. Um, you know, do it. Do it with the, you know, repeat a, a, an experiment in an animal model um, at multiple doses, and and possibly, you know, get statistical uh, significance out of that model. Because if it's not statistically significant, it probably again isn't a drug. So, so I think yeah, having this outsourced approach. You know, Sidon has no labs. We do everything. Uh, with relationships that we've built over the course of our careers, um, with vendors that are experienced in given, in certain given disciplines. So, and that also gives us an advantage because we can pick and choose who's the best party, person, party to work with. And, um, and, uh, I think that helps, that helps also keep the cost down for actually doing the de-risking. There's been a lot of hand-wringing about lack of R&D efficiency and the high cost of developing drugs. Is there an argument to make for this approach being more cost-effective than 
than other more traditional biotech models? Well, I think that depends on how you measure um, how you measure that, right? And I think that that's a longer discussion. I, I don't know whether I can yet claim that I'm more efficient. Um, you know, the capital, you know, if we've raised a total of 100 million for Sidon One companies, and now we've raised another 34, and, uh, you know, hopefully next year we'll have a readout on the Neiman 6C at the BTS 270. Um, and we've already returned capital to our investors, right? We had a, a pretty successful M&A, uh, or an acquisition of a test, you know, $200 million up front and, 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 uh, you know, some contingent value rights down, downstream upon success. So we've already returned capital to our investors. Now, how do you measure output, right? How do you measure, um, research efficiency? It, we probably don't yet have enough data. You need probably a decade of data before you can make a, a definitive statement that would claim that our model is more efficient. And I think it's different again because we have, we can do studies in relatively small populations. It's different to if you're running a, a study for a large indication like, you know, diabetes or, 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 or cardiovascular disease or rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, you know, here we can, we can design our study to be, uh, to have a, a significant impact on disease. That's the other thing that we do a quite a lot of work on is to establish that the given modality that we're going to use actually has a, um, a impact on the outcome for the patient. And rare diseases is, is, uh, is a great place to study, uh, study this. You draw assets from a, a variety of sources, whether it's academic or, or other companies, uh, government research. Is, is there something that that constitutes an asset that would be of interest to Sidon. What what are the the elements you look for in terms of a bringing an asset in house for preclinical development? So the first thing is the agent has to be identified. We're not usually in in the business of drug discovery. Um, we want to have a mechanism of action that's linked to the genetic cause of the disease, or at least close to that biology. If there is a target disease link. Uh, often there, there may be an animal model that's reflective of the disease that you're studying. So the animal pharmacology is critical. Um, we look, we look at, of course, intellectual property. Have patents been filed or can we, uh, make sure that patents will be filed for a given, um, you know, for a given asset? Um, we spend quite a bit of time on epidemiology. How rare is the condition and not only that, but what is the course of the disease? What is the natural history of the disease? And that then leads you to uh, what's the feasible clinical value that you can you can hope to achieve with your drug? So what's the impact you can have on that? And that's where registries are really important um, because I think that, that helps you determine what is it that you are likely to impact and what's important to the patient. So we spend quite a bit of time talking to patients, patient foundations to elucidate what's actually critical in a given disease. And is that, is that, uh, that could lead you to a, to a, to a endpoint that, that may be studied, um, in a future clinical trial. And, and patients are probably among the best, and their families among the best sources for that sort of information. Are you agnostic to indication or therapeutic modality, or is there some internal expertise you seek to capitalize on? 
So when we started Sidon 1, we were agnostic to that. Um, I think we said, you know, as long as there was a genetic cause of the disease, we were, we were, you know, it was something we would consider. Um, that, that genetic cause is still the key, uh, determining step. So if, if you have a therapy that, uh, a therapeutic approach that is in a disease that is orphan, but not genetic or orphan genetic, then it's not, it's probably not for us. Um, what we have decided for Sidon 2 is that we will focus on small molecules, uh, proteins, peptides, oligos. We will not, um, do cell therapies or platform technology like CRISPR or we'll not do, um, cell therapy. We require a different level of, of e-risking and, and expertise and, and, um, and we're just going to focus on what we think we're pretty good at and that is, uh, that is small molecules and, 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 and peptides, proteins, as I said. And once you decide to take an asset and, and spin out a company around it, do you continue to participate in decisions about that in terms of, say, clinical trial designs or whether to move it forward in, in the clinic, or is that left up to a new management? So uh, so we've had two experiences there. We, our goal is to build a new management team around that given asset. In the case of the test, we found a very experienced uh, CEO right off the bat. Uh, ben McKeelty led a team of eight people to uh, develop ETS 270. Uh, one of us, usually it's either myself or my co-founder, James MacArthur, our CSO and president of R&D, he will join uh, the board. And then, of course, the board members that are the same board members as Poseidon will be on the board of the spin-out. And, um, but the management team would then continue to, uh, you know, make the decisions about the, the program. Um, in the case of Imara, we're building the management team as we speak and bringing in expertise to help execute on the clinical, on the phase two clinical study that will start, uh, this year. And are these companies meant to live or die around a single drug candidate or do you envision them developing fuller pipelines fed through either Sidan or, or other sources? Uh, the goal is to build single asset companies, so they're uniquely dedicated to that particular asset. That doesn't mean there's not optionality in the model. That management team that takes on an asset and, and can, can may find an asset that is, uh, and we may find an asset that can be put in, that is not precluded by the model. The key here is that you use the capital judiciously that you've raised to develop um, a drug to the point of where, you know, you can tell whether it should go for a pivotal study or in some cases, as with Neiman Pick B, uh, you know, we were able, um, we we're able to take it all the way into a pivotal trial and, um, Ucampo is now ex executing on that clinical trial. So, so I think what you want to build into any one of these companies is the optionality to either, uh, take it to an exit and that may be, uh, as you said, and, uh, a, a, a sale or ultimately uh, a license or ultimately, uh, you know, develop the company to take it all the way to commercial. That's all up to the management team that can then uh, takes on a given a, a given asset. And, and if successful, what's the expectation for commercializing these therapies? Is it left to the hands of partners or is that something these companies might do on their own? You know, I think in, in the rare disease space, people have been able to take things all the way. I think there are enough companies now out, out, uh, in this space that, uh, have built their own sales force and their own, uh, commercial infrastructure. 
so uh, I think the uh, the expectation is that that um, uh, that the companies that you spin out um, are ultimately partnered with a commercial entity, but it's not excluded. Uh, as I said, if 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 a given offer isn't um, you know, if, if the, if the M and A transaction that is contemplated doesn't return the value that, that investors seek, then there is optionality to either take a company public or even, uh, or, or build a company to ultimately pay for the commercial, uh, building. Now, I, I think, as you know, uh, in rare diseases, the, you know, depending on the epidemiology and the number of physicians that you have to target, that, that commercial, uh, infrastructure can be built and has been built by a number of companies. It's not a pre-requirement that you know the side and spin out uh, will will um, will commercialize, but it's possible to do. How far do you expect the latest round of funding to take you? How many assets and and new companies do you expect to result from it? So as we as we have uh, you know disclosed in the press release uh, last week, uh, actually this week. Um, you know, I think the, the, the key is, uh, is that we find, uh, we find these assets and we develop them and we hope to have between four and six new codes in the coming four years. Chris Adams, CEO of Sidon. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.